is Clafon Philby. With Clint and Danny, Lady, and no reason. No reason. Because <laughs> he looks like a lizard. Who? Steve is so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> We are rolling. I'm actually, I'm actually, um, your way at the moment. Well, your Australian way, Greg. I'm in Noosa at the moment. Bunch of my athletes oh, nice. came up to train, and I thought, oh, this is a great opportunity to escape my kids for three days <laughs> and pretend oh, I'm coaching. Look at you <laughs> yeah. up in Noosa without the kids. I know. Are you catching up with a few people out there. You got friends. Out oh, there. it's it's hard because I I don't see these guys I coach too much, and I like yeah. You know, yeah. if I go and visit BG and whatever, there goes half my day with her chatting away. So. Yeah, well, at least right. Well, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I would love to which... see her, but I I feel like I I can't mix too much. Um, business and pleasure, or I won't, won't no, get I, anything I done with you, these guys. You're there. Yeah. You're there to work, mate. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> awesome. I, I've been. Uh, it's funny. I've just been scouring realestate.com.au looking for a hinterland property out, out the back, and I was going. Ah. I don't know. Every now and then, I love Florida, but you get this homesick bug every now and then. And you're like, oh, I just have a little bit of property out the back on the Sunshine Coast. I love that. So I don't know, mate. It's anything from it, like that hinterland area. Um, we, we, we did a few five acres and actually, oh, I, we did that like inland from Byron and I've got to say, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> it's like, oh. it's, it is, it is, mate, this time of year, we've got so much rain. You would, I used to, so I was still, I was the year after world champs. So I had heaps of sponsors and mate, I was on the mower six to seven hours a week and on the whippersnipper. And I was like, I didn't have the cash flow to pay someone 500, someone bucks, 500 bucks a week to come out and do my do the whole property. And you just, yeah, it's the dream until you go and do it. And then we lasted. <laughs> you've, you've just we- totally crushed me. You have just totally crushed me. I've been like, honestly, without name dropping, but, you know, an ex F1 driver from Australia used to drive for Red Bull, bought some property and everything. And so I've been texting him going, well, where did you buy? What have you got? And he was telling me how great it was. Now I'm like, oh. Mate, if you're an F1 driver, um, do it. Yeah, then you got somebody you, else can you, do it. You have someone living on your property just doing <laughs> yeah. everything. So that's Yeah, that's, that's true. That's the, true. The but- difference is you got like the F1 driver and you, Gregor, looking at doing it after your career, Reedy waits till the height of his career and then just <laughs> yeah, adds more right. stress to life. Sitting on a lawnmower six that- hours a week and trying to train and that, Plus that the is, kids. That is Tim Reid personified right there. Isn't it? I think we weren't we just saying right before you hit the record button, even it's like, yeah, I think I bite off more than I can choose sometimes. Kind of this might be a, a familiar thread going throughout this conversation, mate. <laughs> I look I just lost my uh, headphones there, so I lost that, but that's about as professional. I was just giving that you that just shows just how professional we are, Greg. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually gonna say Zoom is not the best place to be recording from, by the way, in future. Go to use um you can edit this out, right? You use Riverside or or I use Zencaster. Audio quality is way better. Oh, good. Just, to know. just a little yeah. tip, little tip for you guys and anybody who wants to start a podcast. Zoom is good for when you need lots of people, um, but it can often sound a little tinny. That's yeah, it. it's just okay. sound quality. Otherwise, it's fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got we've got a long way to go in a lot of areas, but that's definitely one. No, you you guys are crushing. I love your show. You guys are having fun. <laughs> At the end of the day, it's fun to just watch guys have a laugh and enjoy the sport. And we're we're almost know. nervous about getting too professional with it. We we're uh, talking about it not long ago, and we're even talking about webcams and and um. It happens to, quick. Yeah, we're four. <laughs> I, so I remember I, when I. 
Yeah, go so on, Greg. Mate, go I on. do. I should actually introduce you. I think most people will know who you are. Um, we're very honoured to have you on the show. I had to write down all your accomplishments because I knew I'd miss some miss some things. But two times ITU World Series. Uh, you went to two Olympics, Athens and Beijing. Interestingly, your wife Laura and you both got fourth at um, different Olympics, um, which is pretty, pretty pretty interesting in itself. Maybe if you hadn't <laughs> trained together, you would have got yeah. of something. Um, three Aussie titles, Oceania titles. You won the biggest prize purse probably in triathlon with the Lifetime Fitness Grand Slam, uh, which I think for a lot, you know, the sport is quite transient. And so a lot of the newer triathletes probably aren't aware of how big a deal that was. It was considered something almost impossible when it, when it was uh, proposed. And then you went out and bloody did it. Um, yeah. And then I think probably the thing that always blows my mind was 27 years as a professional. I, for, for me, that's an accomplishment in itself. That should put you in the Hall of Fame just for... Didn't know what else to do, mate. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. too good. Why would I change? No. Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good. <laughs> um, which actually brings me to my first question because I most of my pro career was done with kids and I think... Did you race any pro time with kids or was that afterwards? Could you no, imagine we all, the way you no, raced as a pro? Because I, I know you were Mr. Professional. Could you imagine doing it with kids? <laughs> Laura and I talk about this constantly. We have zero idea how you guys do it. Like, honestly, it is un- – look, no, that's not fair. I think Laura and I were both racing professionally and we can't imagine both of us trying to do it if we were both professional. The, the wife generally – but sometimes it's a husband, you know, it has to be the one that takes on a lot to allow the spouse to go train. And, and it's not just the training, it's the recovery and the energy to the kids and all the little bits that just add up and add up and add up. And they just wear you down and down. And don't get me wrong, I love my kids. <laughs> but they make you bipolar, right? One minute they're giving, I love you, daddy, you're the best. And the next minute they're screaming in your face, like, I don't like it. And you're just like, what in the world's going on here? And you live this emotional roller coaster with kids the whole time. And don't get me wrong, like I'm all uh, one of the, one of the regrets I have is that we didn't start having kids a bit earlier, you know. But that would have required Laura to retire probably, you know, three to four years earlier. Mm. Um, I'm so glad we did have kids. So I don't want anybody to think what I'm saying is don't have kids because I'm so grateful for it. But I hats off to you guys that you know racing and having the kids. Um, bit easier for the dads than I think the mums. I think the mums get the oxytocin and all the hormones and that real mm. love and connection. And, and when I had Chelsea Sadara on the show, she said, yeah, it was really difficult when she was training for Hawaii and, and having to go out and, you know, leave a daughter and go train and everything. Cause they have that real bond. Whereas I think us dads, we grow into our kids over time. I tell every dad, don't worry, it gets better and better and better. Yeah, yeah, it really does. Time, you know, so, the so first month or two, relevant. you're like, what, what am I doing? You <laughs> know, and very then, Clint's is, having his, yeah. just found out he's having his first baby. So, um, oh, yeah, so right. that's why I'm really trying to um, tell him. I'm just, I'm, just sit, I'm, just sitting, I'm just sitting here listening, mate. Oh, well, I'm taking notes. Oh, no, you're going to love a Huge <laughs> congrats. Nothing, nothing about triathlon. It's more just a therapy session. So I'm taking notes. <laughs> no, on, honestly, mate, it's, the, it's, the, it's a great gift that you're giving to the world. And uh, you're going to man up. You're going to grow up pretty quickly. It's good. It's good. I needed it. I think uh, it was good for me. I think I've become a better man because of it. So uh, yeah, when, when you, I think it was interesting you said, Greg, just I think it is very doable if you have a full-time partner, uh, sorry, a full-time parent 
you know, not trying yeah. to work. I, I always found the thing that actually made me, apart from some health issues, was the thing I found the best thing about being pro is the lifestyle of the downtime and the resting and the, yeah. Yeah. and I, we, my wife was always working, so we were managing that. And honestly, the hardest thing for me was just flicking through Instagram, seeing these guys resting. Knowing that I'm wrestling, Normatech boots, Normatech boots, and just <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm coaching, I'm coaching a kids' soccer team, and you're like, oh. <laughs> um, no, that's amazing that you have a well, look, Craig I didn't Alexander do well, so. one, you know, I know Craig and Nerry, they were amazing, weren't they? I mean, they they had the three kids, and Crowy's out there winning Kona and winning all. Yeah, I mean, what a team! I look at them, and, and they they didn't have nannies, they didn't, they had a bit of help, but they didn't have yeah. the the live-in nannies and all the stuff that, you know, we get, we hear a lot now. And and that was the thing for Laura and I, we didn't want to have anybody else raising our kids if we, if we could help it. Like yeah. that was our goal. We yeah. wanted to be the parents and uh, a lot more work on our end, but it also meant that, yeah, even now Laura's the stay at home mum. Yeah. And that's far, I, I'm far more impressed with her being a stay at home mum and her being a mother than I am even her career was great in triathlon, yeah. but watching her be a mum is like, wow. This yeah. is unbelievable. They, these women, they're amazing, mate. It's Absolutely funny you amazing. mentioned Crowey. I think he's got a lot to answer for because, you know, he <laughs> raced really good to such an old age. Actually, this was Peter Robinson said this to me. He said, mate, don't look at Crowey as a good example. He said, everyone else who tries to race till 40, it's like, it's not that pretty. And everyone no, else no, who no. has... Everyone else who has three kids doesn't keep racing well. And I'm like, damn it, I was using Crowy as an example. <laughs> and he's such a good dad. You know, yeah. he, he, he's there for the kids. He's, yeah. uh, I mean, maybe I should talk to Neri, to be honest, because that's what he's told me. <laughs> no, but it always seemed that way. Like, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty close with Crowy, and I've always been impressed with how much of a, a really wonderful father he is to his kids. And, and he's such an amazing husband. And he is a good man. If, if you're going to aspire to be anybody in our sport, he is a good man to, to look to. I think he's a pretty cool guy. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I, totally I always, agree. I always say that about Crowe. Most people you meet, especially like I, I grew up watching you guys race and, um, you know, my, most, most people you really look up to admire, the more you get to know them you realize, ah, oh, he's just another flawed human, but I've actually always <laughs> been impressed with yourself, with Crowe. You know, like it's, it, I haven't had that real disappointment and heartbreak. Uh, well, hopefully I don't let you down in this next 30 minutes or so yeah. for an hour of chat. Don't mess it up, Greg. By the end, he's like, oh my God, what a douchebag. <laughs> to to, a word to be a fair, Greg. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So most people, most people start the questions off on a real positive note. I'm going to go negative. Um, we, you talked about potentially regretting not having kids earlier. From a, mm. from a racing or training perspective, is there anything that just sort of, Maybe it doesn't keep you up at night, but something that sort of pisses you off that you wish you'd done differently. Okay. Short answer is no, because I'm very happy with where I've ended up. So every lesson that I had got me to where I am today, right? So if I look at it more as, and, and this is something that I, the way I like to look at life, life is not always perfect. You don't always get what you want in that moment, but if you wait, long enough, you'll get what you need to quote the song. <laughs> Who sings out the stones? Um, <laughs> and, and for me, you know, one of the big regrets I had was being left off the Australian Olympic team in Sydney. Um, you know, at the time it was the first time triathlon was in the Olympics and it was, you know, I was number two in the world. I'd won the Sydney world cup the year before I'd come third, the three years previous. And it was an event that, you know, as a crow flies about 1500 meters from where I grew up and lived. And, and anyway, didn't make that Olympic team. But then I had a good mate of mine, Simon Whitfield, say, hey, Greg, you, 
been left off the Australian team. Why don't you come to Canada and help me get ready? That was going really well. We worked together for about three to four months. I'd come from having Brett Sutton as my coach. So I was, I was used to hard work and discipline and, and Simon needed a bit of that. Simon needed a bit of that, you know, kind of training and guidance. And, and then they saw that I was working well with Simon. And so they brought Laura, Laura Reback at the time up to help Sharon Donnelly uh, get ready for the, the Olympics for the Canadian team. And, and um, so I look at it, look, I was, I was so disappointed to be left off that Australian team. And it was, it, but one of my very best mates won the Olympic gold medal. And, you know, this is before 9-11. I remember when he, he jumped off the podium, off the step, ran up to the stands where I was and put the gold medal around my neck and said, this is yours. And now I look back and that's almost a career highlight of mine. Like just to have a mate win the gold medal, put it around your neck, it still gives me goosebumps, you know. And on top of that, I also got the girl. And I got this amazing woman in my life that, you know, from day one, we've been together 24-7 now for 24 years. And, and she's just an incredible woman. Now, would have that happened, all of that happened, had I been put on the Australian team? Likely no, right? It would have, who knows what trajectory I would have been on. So when I think of regrets, I'm, I'm a bit bummed that I didn't get to race the Sydney Olympics, but at the same time, it's like, well, look at the gifts I did get from that. I think if I look at myself as an athlete, I look at the 90s as a time where I wasn't confident enough in myself and I wasn't training and racing with enough intent and enough purpose. I think I was, I was doing what needed to be done, but it really was the second half of my career where I started taking a lot more ownership of everything, right? So my time, the way I used it, the way I, I worked on my mental strategies, the way I worked on my general health, my well-being, and all of that came after 2000 once Laura and I started working together. Um, so if I said something to my 18-year-old self, it'd be like, be a little bit more confidence and, confident and and train and race with more intent um, on what you want the outcome to be. And and I think I I could have done better at that point in my career, but I, I don't regret it because I, I learned a lot later on. Speaking of your 18-year-old self, I think if people go back, I don't even know if they're on YouTube. I remember, I'm pretty sure Greg Welsh sent videos to a friend of mine, like actual, what do you call them? The VHS. VHS, mate. And that was, I was watching. <laughs> What do you call them? It was, oh, what wow. do you dinosaurs call these things? I think you were racing in black and white, just black and white television. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, A-tracks. Yeah. But I remember just thinking, seeing you race, and especially compared to Brad Bevan and Welshie at the time, you looked like a front row rugby player at that time. Mm. Mm. What was your weight at this, like at those younger years, and what were you at when you were really at your peak? My weight? Um, I was probably race it probably wasn't that much i probably raced sometimes around 73 74 in those younger years it was kind of like i was late through puberty and and talking about rugby all i wanted to be was a professional rugby player so my brother played professional rugby and i never grew in high school and and then i found i could run run okay so i kept running and running and so rugby was my sport that i wanted to be great at um and and I think I just bulked up pretty quick when I really got into swimming. And I was I was swimming with all sprinters, all of Australia's best sprint swimmers. So I, my swimming really improved. And then I think so if I was 73, 74, by the time I um if I, if you say around that sort of 2006, 2007, I was probably around 68 kilos, 69. So probably four or five kilos difference. Um, maybe ITU I was a fraction lighter because the bike didn't matter much, but I never weighed myself often. 
to be honest. I went by feel. And the training program that I did gave me the body shape and the fitness I needed for whatever I was training for. And I tried to never be too worked up about how much I weighed. Um, but I think it was around that. Yeah. A lot of the guys in the the early days like were a lot bigger and looked a lot more like the surf Ironman guys because yeah. when you were doing the, say the two is blue series back in the day, like you were racing a lot of that same kind of format, right? Where you'd race like three races in a day or you'd do like triple sprints or to be eliminators mm-hmm. or whatever. So you needed to be a bit more explosive and then it's interesting that you say as you went to ITU and the bike became less of a, that you didn't need to be such an all-round athlete. You could actually drop a bit of of weight to to be competitive in the runs. That's really interesting. Yeah, it was interesting, you know, going back, to, we're going 30 years now to Tui's Blue. Well, I you, like- in, I'll just, when you said uh, you're not sure <laughs> if we've met, I can paint a picture for you there. It was probably mid-90s, Coffs Harbour, Opal Cove. You and Jason, yeah. Met, you and Jason Meadows were having dinner. Um, a little scruffy blonde-haired kid came in and interrupted your dinner to get an autograph, mate. And that was uh, that was you. That that was one Clint <laughs> Rowlings. I don't I don't know if I've still Whoa. got the t-shirt around, but I probably interrupted your dinner that night and then abused you on the sidelines at uh, the Novotel. At the Novotel, was it the Novotel? Yeah, ninety-five. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. wow. That's, so we are, that, we are that, going way back there, mate. Yeah, that's awesome. No one's going to remember that. you without wrinkles and a receding hairline. <laughs> <laughs> but they'll probably remember the abuse from the sidelines, mate. I remember Spot Anderson was there and he was having a bad day and I get reminded often that I I was giving it to him as a five or six-year-old kid uh, out, out there. Was, did you grow up in Coffs Harbour, did you? Yeah, I did, yeah. Ah, yep. Coffs was one of my really early races because I went to my first – uh, degree I did was in Lismore. Yep. And so we used to go down to Coffs and even we ran the the Grafton to Coffs Harbour. Have you heard of that one? The relay? Yeah. And you, you, ta- yep. you tag one, every one kilometre, you do one kilometre sprints for 80 kilometres and, and you're in a team of five. Oh, a hell of a good time. But in I the, love that whole part of the world. Well, in the early days, like when, when you started racing, it seemed like every town on the east coast of Australia, every oh. little town had, yeah. had big races where you could make, you could make good money. And so yeah. it was um, a real... A really good time for triathlon then. Yeah, remember that whole that whole eastern coast there. When you look at even Grafton had you know the race, you had Coffs, Crescent Head, uh, Kempsey, they were all the way down. Uh, Tweed, you know Kingscliff is Kingscliff still a triathlon? That used to be a beautiful triathlon up in Kingscliff uh, in the Tweed region. Uh, just magnificent. The whole yeah, like you said, and you could pick up five hundred bucks to a couple of thousand on a weekend on any of these little tries. It was awesome. Thirty years ago would. Give you a deposit on a house, so <laughs> almost, um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, Greg, the second negative question I have is people. People actually said, "Oh, they lo- they like it when we tell stories," and because I, I was trying to hold off on my shit stories. But um, I want to know the worst experience you had with racing, whether it was travel related or not. And I'll kick it off so you got time to think. But my last trip to the US, I. I was having a few issues with my heart. I was racing like a bag of shit. It was the first time I'd gone away from my family and not come back with it really paying off financially. And I was like, I was so stressed about money. I didn't even look at my credit card. But anyway, I got to the airport at LA and it was at that time, middle of COVID, you had to have a negative COVID test to get on a flight. And I'd checked it out and they'd said, oh, no, you can get tests done in the airport. Anyway, I get to the airport. I go to the place where you get tested and they said, oh, sorry, we ran out an hour ago. (laughs) 
So I, I go, shit, like I've got to get this flight because at that point there was like one flight every two weeks to Australia because of COVID. Mm. And, and the flight was like 15 grand. <laughs> so oh, um, it was insane, but I was trying to save my career and keep my sponsors happy because all my sponsors were in the US. Anyway, I run out of this guy magically appears and said, oh, I'm not an Uber driver, but I'm like an Uber driver. What can, where can I take you? And I said, I need to go to a COVID thing, uh, COVID testing place as soon as you can. I jump in at the end, he swipes my credit card. And um, anyway, I, uh, I get the COVID test fine. I get on the flight. I get home. Wow. Um, I just looked at my credit card when I got back and I was like, holy hell. I, and that's when I was like, okay, I just got to start coaching a lot now and work my way to pay it off. When I did my tax later on, I was looking through the credit card. There was a $10,000 transaction, $10,000 accumulated while I was on that flight home. And that oh. bastard in that car had swiped and got all my credit card details and taken 10 grand over, you know, a, I don't know, six or 12 hours or something and spent it on Google ads for whatever he was advertising. And um, I had missed the deadline by like oh no, 20 days to get that money back. Um, ANZ wouldn't help me. They said, you have to go to Google ads because all the charges been there. And of course you go to Google ads. There's not, there's no real people. <laughs> you just, yeah, yeah, you just no, go there's in nobody at Google. No. And, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I was added another 10 grand to that flight to add insult to injury for what was my worst ever racing trip. Oh, um, buddy. What, I, what, I've got whatever, nothing to add to yeah, that. I was going to say, whatever, <laughs> whatever <laughs> Greg comes all... up with now will just be, it'll just pale in comparison. I, to the... <laughs> I honestly, I'm sitting here going, Man, I don't, I don't know that I have a story like that or, or anything. I was thinking about that time just close, as a hint. But I thought that time when you did those reps with you're on a treadmill with Sutto and you're in great form and then you just overcooked it. I can't remember what. Oh the well, yeah, that, that you look that I can share stories of stupid training, but yours <laughs> yeah. is yours is like getting totally ripped off. Look, I yeah that 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 I remember having a conversation with Brett Sutton. And it was like, my intuition knew I was being overtrained, right? And we're getting ready for the Sydney Olympic trials. And, and I sat down with Brett and I said, look, all right, you think it's right. I'm giving you full control, but it's also your fault if I don't make the Olympics. Oh. And, and he said, look, you, you, we're going to do it this way. I said, fine. And so the kind of training I did was what we call a Mills Adepec type running. So 200s, 400 repeats, you know, it was like, boom, 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 boom. And and it had worked to a point. It took me from probably a a thirty one minute ten k runner to a thirty twenty, but it didn't it didn't get me down to where I got, took my career further. which low twenty nines. It really just I stagnated there. And I remember that that one workout which I've shared and you guys were talking about is like the he, he, we we turned up to the the gym in in um or Christchurch or yeah Christchurch and uh, he had these two treadmills side by side and he said Greg I want you to do 35 seconds on at 22.5k an hour, 25 seconds stand to the side until you drop. Right? Now, all of us are competitive here. Like we're some of the most competitive people you, you'll meet. I'm the kind of guy that throw a ping pong, ping pong, you know, bat at my brother's head if I lose. I'm I'm very competitive. So it's okay. And so the first 20 or 30, that were tough. And then it was like you just get into this flow state, you know, the chicks in my high flow state where you're just going, boom, they're just ticking over. And the reason there were two treadmills is one would be soaked in sweat and then, you know, you jump on the other one that was dry. And I just kept going and going and going. And <clears throat> after, you know, two and a half hours, 
150 of them later. And it was about, it was just under a marathon of doing these, you know, two, it was about 250 meters each rate. And, uh, and it, <laughs> this was in the time of new, newspapers, you know, he's going through, he got the weekend newspapers and he's going through them and finally just peered up above and it's like, okay, Greg, that'll do. We'll see you swimming. And he walked <laughs> out and I left and, and it was like, but I remember that just going, it wasn't just the physical. It was that, emo- I, I, I put so much into that, just that emotional and mental energy and just i used an amazing opportunity like you have these amazing opportunities in your life in racing and performances that um i used it up but it makes it for a great story now right i mean i did i did a lot of really really crazy workouts like that was one but you know but i even think i did more stupid stuff when i was coaching myself like you know when brett was coaching me that was one thing but you know, I still think the kind of training I threw at myself using the old Arthur model of training was probably, there was some pretty stupid stuff in there as well. <laughs> but, and look, I missed out on the Olympics probably because of that. So yeah, it, you know, you lost 10 grand. I lost going to the Olympics, but you know, you try these things. And but Reedy got nothing in return and you got a wife, <laughs> so you win. <laughs> Mate, you guys, that's awful story. That is really bad. I didn't even know there was a window for credit card fraud. Like I thought... Yeah, neither, no, neither did Reedy. Well, most people are smart enough to notice if ten grand gets added to their bill. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I, <laughs> no, not really, but I just, uh, you know, yeah. When you so, when well, you live the out in the land like, and you're paying for a new tank all the time or a new septic system, it's like you just you just turn going the back to the hinterland story. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, everybody, everybody listening, don't ever pay for anything with debit cards, right? Yeah. At least credit cards, you have a chance. It's yep. banks' money. Yeah. Um, so don't ever buy anything on debit. My mum got taken the other day with something on debit, and I thought oh. for her, I was like, ah. Oh, Any other financial out, tips, Greg? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you want this show to be about? <laughs> it's a th- it's a therapy session at the moment. But so back yeah. back to that session, Greg did did Sato uh, did Sato admit fault and uh, did did he uh, say- look? I'm not the kind of guy that would go back and, and and rub salt in the wound. I think we were both a bit disappointed that I didn't make it. Um, look, Brett gave me a lot, you know, if I was to ever write a book, he would get a chapter. Um, he definitely taught me a lot about myself. And, and I think what I got from Brett those four years makes up for, 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 for that. So I, I don't, I wouldn't hold a grudge against him, but yeah. So Greg, um, I'm a multi-billionaire. Yeah. I'm I'm running a game. uh, I'm running in a, a, a enhanced games where, ah, you are allowed to take whatever performance enhancing drug you want. Yeah. It's a year after you've retired from the sport, but you know you've still got it. Hypothetically, I'm going to pay you $2 million to go and race the triathlon. What do you do? Given that this is the very real situation that we find a lot of athletes are now finding themselves in with, for anyone that doesn't know, I should actually give some background to this question. <laughs> There is a there is an enhanced games going on funded by a billionaire who's basically trying to put together too, right? a, a simulated Olympic Games, yeah, yeah. but he's allowing a free for all of performance enhancing drugs. Um, we can talk about the, how problematic this is, but just in that situation, you know, I know James Magnuson's just signed on. What what do you do? <laughs> well, I, I, I it's funny, you know, I've. I saw this announcement and Peter Thiel, I've read his books and, uh, you know, a big fan of some, a lot of his work. And when he came out with this, I thought, I'll, 
you know, they've obviously sat around like this, like a bunch of mates going, hey, drugs in sport, why don't we just have one without drugs? You know, have drugs in it. This whole drug testing thing's not like I, I get it where they're coming from. Um, I think for one, I'd need a lot more money than $2 million, really. I, I think I would need <laughs> it'd need to be probably a couple more, a 200 million. Fifty million, I'm starting to lean in. Hundred million, I'm 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 there. Um, it's funny. The further you move away from sport, like when you're in it, a drug cheat is the most evil person ever, right? It's like ah. Hmm. Eight years post retirement, I'm like, I'm like, whatever. It's just triathlon. I don't know. Your perspective kind of changes. Not to cheapen our sport by any means. I love our sport, and and I I feel very blessed and fortunate that. One never saw the drugs, like never offered to me, never saw them, never they were never a part of our community. It wasn't a thing, yeah. so it was never a topic of conversation. It was every now and then you'd be like, "Oh, this European or this kind of guy." Like you know, you you always had these um thoughts, but honestly, never really had it. I've been just amusing at this enhanced gains games that I think is going to be very interesting if the times don't improve at all across all of these events. Yeah. It's going to be. It's just going to be kind of embarrassing, isn't it? It's like, oh, Hussein Bolt's time still really magnificent. No one can get close to it, or whatever. What whoever we're talking about, everyone's going to go, huh? I think yeah. the only concerning part there is if the times don't get any quicker, then it might yeah. start making people look at the actual Olympics and go, wow. That's what that, I'm saying. How clean That's are I, we? But yes. but what you got to realize is no one who's right in their prime. I don't think anyone in their prime is going across to enhanced games. So you, you, you're still missing out on the best of the best in the sports. And I actually, I sort of agree with what you're suggesting, Greg. I actually don't think, I don't know. I mean, I don't know how much advantage some of these things give, but I don't think we're going to see world records get shattered. I mean, James Magnuson's been out of the pool for how long, you know, and he says he's going to juice the gills and I'm sure like, I don't know if I necessarily judge him because maybe he's in the financial situation where he could set his family up for life or mm. I do mm. hate that it normalizes, it could potentially normalize drug use in, in sport or kids start to think that, oh, they can do it in a safe way yeah, or whatever that's else. An I mean, yeah. And, and yeah. The, the worst thing possible is if like, sorry, this is going to sound really bad. But probably the best thing possible is we do, I don't want people to die, <laughs> but I also think it wouldn't be bad if there were health complications oh. and people came well, out the other yeah. side and they were like, oh, he overdid this and this. And we now know, oh, it is actually really risky to push the, push the boundaries on these things or, um, you know. It's- well, you're going to see that. Yeah, that, that will happen. Mm. That will happen. If there's no criteria around the amount of crap that you can put into your body. So you're totally lit up like a Christmas tree on everything that you can possibly imagine from the steroids to cocaine to all of these drugs. And you're just loading the crap out of it. An athlete mindset is more is better, right? Like that's just a typical mindset. It's like more is better. You are going to have massive issues. Like that's, to your point, I actually think that could be, what ends this. I I don't think this is going to last. I think it's a bit of very, very rich young men going, playing around with humans to see what they can do. And surely there's a duty of care there, right? Like if, if whoever's funding this, they either want to have a watertight like legal document for the people to sign off on, because if they're not monitoring that and say, we'll use 
James Magnuson yeah. as an example, he goes, more is better, more is better, more is better, and he gets in the pool and dies. Mm-hmm. That's going to be catastrophic, and we won't see much more of it, I don't think. I don't think that. we'll that's see much all, more of it, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. all it'll take to end it. Um, the, the problem I do think is, and I'll ask you guys, you don't have to, like, honestly, would you tune in and watch it? And before you answer, I think most people will, and that's why I think provided people don't dock, I actually think it might last longer than we think because I think the numbers of viewers will actually be quite high, especially the first year or two when they're like, oh, I want to see this freak show. I want to see if someone, I want to see if so someone. As long as the performances are so much better, if the performances are so much better, that'll be good for them, right? Yeah. It'll be good for the whatever they're doing. I think if they present in such a way, it needs to be an amazing presentation. The one thing the Olympics do well is the opening ceremonies, is yeah. the closing ceremony, and they really do a make an event out of it. They're going to still need to do that. If it still looks like a rinky-dink thing where they just got, you know, a pool and a, and it's not really an event, I don't think that's going to look as good. But I And, and then, yeah, two or three years in, if you're not seeing the, the records being smashed, well, now it's just, it's like the, when we did the Goodwill Games, which is on the other end of this spectrum, you know, and it was all meant to be about goodwill and everything, but that just died. You know, it was kind of like a way to say, let's have, bring the East and the West together and race against each other and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I, I, I don't know. I, I always believe in seven-year things. You know, in our sport, we always had, you know, we had the Grand Prix in Australia for seven years. We had the Lifetime Series for seven years. We had the High V Triathlon for seven years. It's generally seven years, and then we'll see what happens. That's my theory. <laughs> so $50 million to compete, Greg. Reedy would have competed to just get his credit card paid off. <laughs> yeah. No, I wouldn't, but I would have competed. What would you do it for, Reedy? To put that guy in jail. To put that guy in jail, I'd probably do it. Uh, to be uh, honest, no. I just don't think I could do it because of I've got three kids. Like I, Yeah, no, you're right. I, I you're don't right. want to. I don't do want it. them. I don't want to do another triathlon, to be honest. I'm tired. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> you can go and compete in archery or something and take oh, things to calm man. down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm with you, though. When you start thinking, you, you, you're right there. You know, it's it's not worth it. We What's had the precedent? Time. Yeah. Um, that it's going in the seven-year thing, Clint, do you want to hit about the next topic on the conundrum for pro athletes? Well, mm. seven. I think when you say seven years, Greg, I think that, Really, at the moment, we're at the start of a seven-year cycle, or the the potential for it to be a really a really great seven years in sport. And so, getting on to like the PTO series that they've just listed versus the the Ironman, and then Ironman have come out with their own series. Um, for those people who aren't aware of how the series are running, it's the PTO series is eight races. Um, you've got to do the the contracted athletes have to do five, and four of them count. $3 million in contracts, $2 million prize purse, and then $2 million at the end of season. Um, we've got some huge names listed on the PTO who, who have signed, like just some of the names, Ashley Gentle, Taylor Nib, Lucy Charles, who won Ironman obviously last year. And on the men's side, we've got uh, Sam Laidlow, Ditlev, amongst others. Um, and then obviously Ironman have done the same thing to try and make it happen for them how do you feel like this is going to progress the sport in the next four or five years greg well firstly i i I love seeing those kind of numbers coming into our sport 
Like yes. when you hear $7 million going into the professional athletes. And I know, I know a lot of your audience are age group and amateur and going, well, how does that even affect me and blah, blah, blah. But there is a trickle down effect. I do believe that, that more money at the top will come down to have better events for everybody. Um, and also if you're a fan of the sport as I am, you know, I love to watch these things. I want to watch the best race at each other. You know, the greatest thing that came of COVID, there were so few races that every time we got to see a race, the best were there, right? It was like, oh, everybody's there. And when when um, the PTO announced theirs, and and like you said, it was eight races, do five, but only your best four count. I was bitterly disappointed. Actually, I, I want, you do eight, you turn up, you do all eight. I don't care. You know, it's eight races, a professional triathlete, that is not much to do. Not much these days, especially with the super shoes. You can recover super fast. Get out there and start racing and look after your health. Um, so I wrote Sam Renouf, actually. I wrote him an email and he wrote back and said, look, it is like this for now. But, you know, and I, I said, well, I like that you said for now um, because I don't want to see them picking and choosing. You know, it's like you see with the ITU, the Europeans, they have, you know, it could be an eight race series and there's five of them in Europe. So the Europeans are like, fine, we'll just, We'll our flight from home every race. We get to do five races. Australians, you know, the reason the Australians went downhill for a little while, they, they've had to, they might have had one race in Australia, maybe one in Japan, and then they had to go to Europe and North America and they're packing up their lives and having to go. Completely different to the Europeans who are like, oh, there's another one. There's not. And that's my fear with the PTO, right? They've they've got all this money. And it's like, I want to, I want to see a European athlete traveling the world and having to figure out jet lag and how to travel and trying to find business class flights and not get ripped off by taxi drivers, whatever it is, right? It's like you, there needs to be, they turn up and do them all, you know? And that was like when you referenced the lifetime series earlier, it was five races, win them all, you win the lot. Like that to me is important. Everybody turns up and everybody does it. Um, but that said, $7 million being handed out to 40 athletes, 20 men, 20 women is outstanding. Any athlete that doesn't choose that, I think is nuts. I would have chosen it. I always consider myself as a professional. This is my business. Yes, things like Olympics are nice, a nice little touch. If you can win it, great, good on you. Um, winning Kona Ironman, great. Sponsorships, everything can come from it. But I was always take out the middleman. If I don't need to have sponsors or anybody else, I'd rather just go to where the money is and go grab it. Um, so there's going to be, you know, some athletes are going to have some pretty lucrative bank balances by the end of this year. Um, and the Ironman series, good on them. It's a it's a nice start. They've heavily weighted the Ironman in terms of points. It's twice as much as the 70.3s, you know. I, I don't think it's going to blow us away. It's a bit like the Challenge Family Series, and I love Challenge, and I love Zibi and that whole group that have Challenge, but I couldn't tell you whoever wins the Challenge Family Series every year. I, I don't know if you guys can tell me. I've never known who, who's won that series, yeah. and I feel like the Ironman might be a bit like that. It's like we're going to be so focused on the PTO. We'll know who wins Kona, the world champs. Yeah, yeah. But I don't I don't think we'll have a clue who wins the series. If, I don't think you've got a series, you really have to – create drama around the series and promote it as a series. And if it's just, yeah. oh, the, only the athletes really know who's what's going on and who needs what points and this and that, then yeah, it's, yeah. there's no point having a series. So, yeah, um, I agree. but I, I do feel, I, I am really glad that the PTO think it's put pressure on 
other organizations to now, okay, we have to, everyone has to lift their game. Mm. Um, you know, I've always argued, you talk to any age grouper who's done any of the Ironman or Ironman 70.3 events that don't have pros and they all say there's a distinct lack of atmosphere when the pros aren't racing. To, so right. to say yeah. that there's no, that pros don't make any difference, I, I, I don't have the data, but I think you would see from the entries for the following year that I don't think it would have the same effect. Like I, as an age grouper, and I raced for seven, eight years as an age grouper, like the whole buzz for me for the race was like being at, at the race and going checking out the pro bikes and seeing yeah, if I could yeah, yeah. seeing if I could give Macca a fist bump or whatever it was as I went past, you know, like yeah, yeah. I was is that was what was maybe it's because I was a trifrother, but the I still think there's a there's a there's just such a uh, different atmosphere when you know people are there racing for their living, you know, their so livelihood. When you look at the list of people, uh, the, uh, males and females for the PTO series, I think it's it's blatantly obvious that. All the women have chosen the PTO events who who got contracts because they're not that interested in going to France to try and win a world title. Even, like Lucy's on the list. And where a few of the guys are still enticed by like a name that comes to mind is Patrick Lang. Like they still have that lure of going and winning Hawaii again. Um, <laughs> how do you feel? Like, Do you think it's going to take the mystique away from Iron Man world champs over the next few years, Greg, or you think it'll no, that'll still stay? No, that, that'll stay. Look, Kona is Kona, and Nice will get there in time. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, but I think you know it'll be at the end of the day. We don't want Iron Man to go. You know, I, I do. We do want the Iron Man World Championship, seventy point three World Championship. Iron Man is still good for the sport, as much as. We love, oh, oh, man, they don't pay us enough or blah, 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 right? I get it. What makes me nervous about the PTO is this is all capital they've raised, from, you know, venture capital. They've still got to prove themselves. And, and right now they've done well to raise a second a second round where they, they raised another, what was it, 10 or 15 million or whatever. And, and they're doing well. But if I'm a VC and I'm giving you this money, they're – my, I want a hundred X. My like VCs, they get in early because they really want the big output. They they want to see something. They took the big risk, right? They've put in, and for a lot of them, look, ten million dollars is not a big <laughs> a lot for them. But they've still done it, and there's a lot of pressure on PTO to create amazing events that all the big endemic and non-endemic sponsors want to get behind, right? And behind, make it like the ATP or the WTA, women's tennis, men's tennis, that now the sponsors, you know, Rolex, they're all there, right? If triathlon can get to the point where we see Rolex and we see all the big brands and it's like the Australian Open tennis, then the PTO has done its job and the VCs are going to be super happy. But right now we're just at the stage where they've done well to raise some seed money or maybe a Series A or B and they're... They're spending, and it's, but they've got to make it happen. So this is where I get a little bit nervous going, okay, well, we still got to get through this seven-year itch. It's, they need to, this needs to grow, and it needs to be amazing mm. um, to, to be sustainable. And I'm, I'm praying that it does. Of course I want it to succeed. And, and I believe Sam Renouf is an awesome guy, and I think he can make it happen. He's got a good team around him. Uh, the athletes are getting behind him. Uh, you know, Lucy Charles 
signing up is massive. She's the biggest name in our sport, I, I, man or women. I think she's the biggest name in our sport. And I think her signing up was a big thing for them. And I think that's, that's really cool. Um, but I don't, I also don't want to see Iron Man suddenly go, well, we're done with pros or something like that. That would really suck. I think we need to keep both alive. So it's funny you mentioned Lucy Charles, cause our next, my next sort of topic question was around, um, management in triathlon or reinvestment in yourself. And Lucy actually has the same manager that I, that I had. Um, and someone asked me the, another a pro asked me the other day, oh, should I get a manager? This or that. And I think it's, it's very dependent on. I, like I was super fortunate in that I had a manager who th they're not necessarily in it to make money. He's a great businessman. Mm -hmm. He was there as a hobby and also to do his part in helping, helping out. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure he makes money out of Lucy and all that sort of thing. Like, but it's not like his primary income mm -hmm. and the reinvestment. And, and also I, if you think that you're going to have a manager and you might be able to speak to this, I'm really curious about, how you managed yourself or whether you had a manager and how you reinvested in yourself. But to, if you think that you're going to have a manager in triathlon where they're looking after every detail of your life, they're making all the contact with sponsors. I think you, I think you're really dreaming and mm. you can't, if you want to be a really good business and I sort of made sure I kept in contact with all the sponsors, I would often initiate all the initial conversations and I was hopeless at actually talking the money side of it. And that's where mm. my manager, Evan, would come in and I would think, oh, we might get 10 grand out of these guys. And he'd come back with 50 and you'd be like, what? <laughs> like he was yeah, so yeah. much, he was the perfect partner for me in what we were trying to do. Um, and he was, I could play the good cop. He could, you know, make sure that things were done yeah. correctly. Um, I also made sure throughout my career, while I was going well, I sort of went down, downhill actually after I moved to the hinterland. So don't, yeah. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have the spare cash anymore. But I always reinvested into myself a lot. Um, I feel like athletes, you know, I just was probably 25, 30% of what I was making, I was putting back into the sport or making sure I could start to travel more comfortably, get better sleeps or the occasional business class flight for a big race and things like that. And I know from talking to others and talking to yourself as well, you yourself and Laura really did seem to reinvest in yourself. I mean, obviously you made a lot of money um, through prize money, but can you talk about how you how you managed uh, sponsorships? If you really, you know, you just said you didn't put a heap heap into that because you were chasing the big cash on the on the prize uh, prize money side of things, but also your reinvestment into yourself. Um, yeah, just give yeah. us some insights because I think it'd be good for a lot of younger athletes listening to this to realize what what's really required. <laughs> I think it's really it's a good question. I think what's really important for young athletes to understand is is being a professional athlete is no different than being an entrepreneur, right? You, you're starting a business, right? You, you and you are going to work at that business and it's going to be incredibly hard. And in the tech world, we call it your Flintstoning. You're doing everything, right? You, when you're running the car and the Flintstones, I don't, maybe you guys are too young to know what the Flintstones are. <laughs> anyway, but it, it, it's like, I think we need to educate and maybe the PTO can help with this is understanding that young athletes, you're entrepreneurs and you need to have a business mind, right? That, and then you need to structure your racing calendar like a business. You need to, the way you talk to sponsors, the way you talk to race directors, you know, and a lot of that starts with just having manners. You know, if you are, if you're a young athlete now and you go to a, a race, go up to the race director at the end of the race and say thank you. Because guess what? 
the reason that race director decided to have a professional race in the first place is because they're a fan of the sport and they want to rub shoulders. That's it. And you're one of the professionals, go up there and say thank you. And guess what? The next year when he's got five hotel rooms that he can give out, you'll get one. It's right. just the way this works, right? So start with manners, with any sponsorship you see there. When you're at the expos and the booths, go around and say, hey, I'm Tim Reed. Nice to meet you. I'm a young up-and-coming pro. Love your product. You know, great to see you supporting the sport. Walk up. Don't ask for anything, but it's about laying your network become familiar with the community that's around you. And all of a sudden you can start going up to those brands a year or two later, once you get a few performances and, and they know who you are. I think we, I think the big problem a lot of young athletes have is they get tunnel vision and it's like, I've got to be just the fittest, fastest and try and win a race. It's like, no, 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 not enough. Not enough. You got to lay the groundwork. You got to build your network because when you do hit product market fit. When you do win, you need to then hit the growth dial and 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 really hit some of those sponsors. And, you know, I, I had some managers in the nineties and honestly, it was unnecessary, you know? So I, Laura and I managed ourselves. Um, most of my contracts were pretty easy in the end. I never, I had an idea of the marketplace. I never asked for too much. I never asked for too little. And there's certain athletes we knew that, you know, we're asking for too little. If somebody's gone on one Kona Ironman and they're asking five grand and you come in asking for 20, it's like, damn it, dude, what are you doing? But it's like, understand the marketplace, talk to your mates. If you've got other pro, pro athletes, never make them give an exact number. This is my theory. So I'll be right, Reedy, all right, you just signed with uh, this bike company. <clears throat> are we talking 25 to 50? Are we talking, yes, spitball, just nod your head, get an idea of the marketplace, right? Because then once you know that, you can you can easily know where you are and you can ask for certain amounts of money. But I think the other way to approach this is put yourself in their shoes, right? So if you're talking to track bikes, right? What, what do track bikes want to do by sponsoring Tim Reed? They want to they sell, want to sell bikes. more bikes, <laughs> right? So what are you offering that's going to help them sell more bikes? And say they've given you 50 grand. All right. That means they need to sell, what do you say, 25 bikes on the high-end level, 25 to, to break even. Now, are you going to sell 25 bikes in this one-year contract that you've got to break even? But you want to blow them away. You want to sell 200 bikes. So next year you can renegotiate, right? So you start to have that mindset of going, what do I need to sell 200 bikes? I need to cr cross the line first. I need to look professional. I got to speak well. I got to take every speaking opportunity I can. I need a social media campaign. Like my first thing I'd invest these days is, a, is grab one of those young guys doing all the social media things. Yeah. It's like, you need to have a YouTube channel. You need to have your Instagram going. You are an influencer. You are a business. If you don't like to do that stuff yourself, go invest in somebody, pay them a grand or two a month and get that up and going. You know, yeah. um, so yeah, look, it all depends on where you are in your career, um, how well you feel you are at business, but I would, I'd be signing up and studying an entrepreneurial type business school on the side, or, or just listening to audio books on your easy runs on how to do business. Alex Hormozzi is a great one. Listen to him, hundred million dollar office. Great book. Um, if you want to be an entrepreneur and build your business, it, you know, yeah, I, I think you've touched on so many good things there. I think being realistic as well, like 
these guys yeah. blowing up. Oh, sponsorship sucks, this and that. And I'm like, what are you, are you selling? You, you, your job is to sell product. I don't see how you're selling any product. How can you ask for that yeah. when you, they, you know, it's Think a business. They've yeah. they got, they got to make back many times what they're paying you. So it's not a charity. <laughs> um, and I, I, I've I just, been on the other side now. I've been on the other side. Yeah. And I've said to him, at the end of the day, the, the number one people I would want to work with right now are people like you. And you know why, Tim? Because you've been a professional athlete. You have a name. You've got a podcast. And guess what else you do? You coach a whole group of people. I don't know if you have a tri club or not. But that, now I get Tim Reed, the world champion, because you're a world champion for life. Right, I can use that in my advertising campaign. I sponsored Tim Reed, world champion. Full stop. But he's also immediately going to sell to 50 people that he coaches or 100 people that are in his tri club. And I'm immediately getting all my money back and I'm paying you 10 grand a year. And you're it's like, so, wow. It's so funny you say that because Clint and I have talked yeah. about this, how much we can, like we at the moment we have, we we recommend things that we think are really good. But the yeah. amount of sales we can get as coaches I feel like I sell more than when I was a good athlete. And, 100%. And yet sure. I talk to, we talk to sponsors and I don't think they really understand the value of, of co how much a coach can influence sales. But uh, so I'm really glad you said that. Uh, we, the, the company I was working with, we, we went and signed Matt Hansen for that reason. Oh, cool. So Matt yeah. Hansen, you know, he's a professor, but he's also great, great Ironman athlete, but he's also, you know, working with a hundred people in his tri club and his community. It's like, I get him immediately with yeah. like that's a no brainer for a, for a sponsor. Whereas guess what? You grab somebody, a great athlete and they're kicking ass in 2023, 2024. They can't get out of their own way. They're injured. They're sick. Boom. You've just spent your money and you got nothing for it. So when you're a pro athlete and you're going to these companies and you're asking for money, you better be coming with the mindset of how am I going to be selling product for them? That's what they want. They want to sell product. It's hard. So anyway, there's my rant. No, that was really good. Normally I'm the ranter, so it's good to have someone else. I do remember, it's funny you say the rant. I remember one time I was, um, I was filthy. We raced in Mandurah together. I think you were, just, you were just a bit burnt out. It was the end of season. I pulled out, I think, of Mandurah. Yeah, that and I had, I, a flat, I, yeah. I had a flat tire um, and had to oh, pull out sucks. as well. And I was so angry. And I remember you just said to me, Reedy, you got to keep that chip on your shoulder. Like all the great athletes, because I was always an angry, yeah. mate, I had a fairly privileged up, like I wasn't wanting for anything as a kid or, but my dad also made me work really hard and all these things. And I remember I was just always angry at every other, everyone. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and, and it was almost like you look at every photo. It's the same with Steve McKenna now. You look at every photo of him racing or you look at my first yeah. half of my career racing, I had anger in my face. Like yeah. I was... And then the second half of my career, I'm just like, oh, I'm happy, <laughs> you know, and it was starting, <laughs> starting to go downhill. I'm um, comfortable and, now. <laughs> yeah, and you and you said you can never lose that chip. Crowey's got the chip. Yeah. Simon Whitfield's yeah. got the chip. And I'm like, yeah. just to, can you just we'll, we'll wrap up real soon because I know I'm conscious of your time, but also these Very guys funny. here, I promised them I'd be out riding soon with them. Um, <laughs> the <laughs> not to cut you off too soon, but um, the. Just talk about, yeah, what, what sort of mindset do you see that you had or also what do you see is really important for any athlete to be really successful? Like what traits and what personality and that chip on the I shoulder effect? <laughs> I think you nailed it. That's a big one. I mean, if, if you're not competitive, 
being competitive is number one. I'm telling you, like I've seen some of the most talented, talented young kids, you know, as teenagers, but they're not cut through. You know, at the end of the day, this is a sport as a whole is a business of kill or be killed, quite honestly, you know, and, and it hurts. This is punishing and, and, and to be competitive is really, really important. Now, look, after that, you have all the discipline, dedication, desire, all of those things are incredibly important, right? You need to be, nobody here on this call right now, we're all fairly disciplined guys. It, it just happens. You become that way, especially in the endurance sports. You turn up, you do the job at hand and you just do it consistently day in, day out for years and years and years. And, and, and that's what makes you great. But having that energy of competitive nature makes you want to get the most out of everything you do. And that's what fuels your intentional behavior, right? That's what gives you the purpose and the absolute intent to do something better. And I think once you have all of that, then you can fully unleash your potential because I think there's also this, I think professional athletes as a whole have realized deep down, we have this enormous potential that we want to show the world. And it's kind of like, how do I unleash my potential to the world? And, and, and the competitive fuel is what brings it out. So, um, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it with those traits. So I, you know, I think the discipline side is is massive, but that all comes from desire. If you want something bad enough, you'll you'll get up at four a.m. every day, and it, it's not you know whatever it takes, you you'll do it. Um, yeah, that's probably it for me. Yeah, yeah. Well, Greg, I'm Clint will probably say something else, but you always speak so well and um, great advice for everyone. I really appreciate you coming on. It's been a this is fun. Like I said, we were a bit worried that you'd be. You're 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 a you're just a bit too professional for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. Not at all. This was fun, you guys. I, uh, I I thoroughly appreciate it. I I've enjoyed watching your shows. You guys are doing a really fantastic job because you're keeping it light hand, lighthearted, and you have got a bit of banter going on. I actually miss it because my show is quite often just me, you know. And it's yeah, like yeah. I, it'd be nice to have a show with a couple of mates where you could just crack some beers and have a good time and. Um, anytime you, know, you need us to come and job. bring insults we can do that no 100 well Reedy, you've been one of my absolute <laughs> favorites on the show I've, I've always admired you as a person and as an athlete and clint i remember fondly you coming up to my table and wanting me to sign that autograph I, for you buddy. i knew it um, i knew it i knew you would uh mate thank you so much yeah. there were some absolute pockets of gold in there for for everyone both about racing and about taking the sport seriously as an athlete. So thank you so, so much. Uh, that was oh, great. No worries. Yeah, no and, worries, guys. This was fun. All right. We'll catch you later. And um, are you coming back to Oz anytime soon? Yeah, yeah. I'll be there. Uh, I've made a pact with Laura that every summer holiday, Northern North America summer holidays, we'll come to Australia for June and July. So yeah. uh, we Get, he was coming. He was to coming to check out some land, but he squashed that. Yeah, idea I was. I was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was. Uh, we have. We've rented an apartment right on the beach of Hastings Street. Um, oh, cool. For two weeks, which if you miss school holidays, it's actually can't. You can almost afford it. Um, <laughs> so that'll be Noosa for two weeks, and then Sydney for six weeks after that. So yeah, be nice. back down there soon. Ah, oh, brilliant. Yeah, I want to do some in-person podcasts. Actually, you might have to get you up. You know, yeah. do some in-person stuff because it's way more fun to do in person. Oh, it is I, way easier. Yeah. You don't you don't cut each other off all the time, and it's yeah. just yeah. different. Yeah, <laughs> it's just fun. It's just nice. Yeah, just yeah. having a normal chat. So I'm going to set up in Noosa, and then I'll set up in Sydney, and I want to try and get a whole bunch of shows done this time we come down. Ah, cool.
Unreal. Yeah. Well, good on you, Greg. All right, man. Uh, yeah. All the best. Thanks, mate. Thanks again. Cheers, guys. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. See ya. Cool. See you guys. <laughs>